Uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. We started uh, our, our series in Mark last week. And just to remind you guys, um, I said that the purpose of the Gospel of Mark, is, it, it presents Jesus as the Son and Servant of God in compelling form to help you follow Him better. So we want to see Jesus in compelling form as the Son and the Servant of God because we want to follow Him better. The Gospel of Mark is written to disciples. It's written to people who are curious about Jesus, who want to know more. It's written to people that have been with Jesus and walked with Jesus for a long time that want to follow Jesus better. The Gospel of Mark is written for you. Um, And just by way of introduction this morning, uh, we all we all are familiar with those special days. Some days are just more important, more special than others. Some days are worthy of, you know, a Snapchat story, where the entire day can be recorded in Snapchat form for your friends to watch, not once, not twice. Music, very good timing. Uh, But all day long, because some days are more significant than others. I personally, I just love recording, documenting things. I'm just always writing down things. And I used to have this video camera, and I just, I just loved to just film as much of a day as possible. And it just, it was just like, it was funny to me to rewatch random moments of the day, you know. Uh, there was this one day I remember. It was a fateful day. It was the day I went to, to a beach uh, in Ecuador, and I was filming everything. And there's, there's lots of great takeaways you can get from this random filming. Like you get like, wow, it looks like he's having a lot of fun in that ocean over there. Wow, he's having a lot of fun with his cousins over there. Wow, that does not look like very good food to eat over there. Lots of great takeaways. If you would have watched this video of this fateful day in Ecuador, you would also had this takeaway. Wow, you should not uh, take a camera into the ocean and try to film yourself on a tube because the camera gets destroyed. Because the very last frame of the camera is a wave hitting my face. <laughs> fateful days. Uh, very, very significant days. We... We, we do this sometimes. Sometimes people make whole documentaries about one day because of how significant it was. Sometimes whole books are written about one day, like 9-11 or something like that. The Bible also sometimes, it comes to one day and it says, this day is more significant than all the rest. And as, as we come to our passage tonight, uh, beginning in 14, just, just watch as we read this passage and say, hey, where does... Where does the day begin? It doesn't begin until like halfway through the passage. Where does the day begin, and how long does it last? And, and what is the author trying to teach us here? So Mark 1, 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. 
and they went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him, and they, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said, Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogue and casting out demons. So, you guys see where the day begins? Where does the day begin? Where does it begin? 35. 35. That's where the day technically began. One of the days. Yes, I agree. Any other, any other, any other ideas? Yes. Uh, 14. 14. You, you could, could guess that. Yes, yes. 16. 16. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. No, probably not. Probably not. Yes. Uh, 21. 21. Yeah, probably. I mean, he might have... They might have been fishing on the Sabbath, but I don't think so. I'm thinking that Jesus called, uh, yeah, probably not. Jesus called them probably on a Friday, and then the next morning, maybe, the next morning he went into Capernaum and then went into the Sabbath. And then where does the day end? 34? Right, but it actually, if you're counting Sabbath days, they count it from, from dusk dusk of Friday to dusk of Saturday, that is, that is the Sabbath. So, so right there at 32, at evening, at sundown, it's no longer Sabbath day. So you can travel. So you can carry people. So you don't break the rules. So that's what's happening there. A very long day. And remember what we talked about, Mark. He, he has an economy of language about him. He's moving really fast. He's covering a lot of ground. But he says this day is significant. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to see this day. And, and Jesus is very busy during this day. So if you're taking notes, I want you to just note 
note these four things. We're going to call them four takeaways from a day with Jesus. You want to, you want to spend a day with Jesus? This is what a day with Jesus looks like. It looks like. Uh, takeaway number one, expect conflict. Takeaway number one, expect conflict. Or to say it another way, hey, if you are going to follow Jesus, expect conflict. Jesus is a conflict magnet. He, he just attracts conflict to himself. And you, you guys saw this. We, we talked about this. We read about this. I mean, when in 21, he enters the synagogue, and, and you see he's teaching there with authority. And what happens? A man just appears in the synagogue, just like a magnetic attraction. Immediately there was in their synagogue, probably uh, associating this man with not being a part of the synagogue, but from outside of the synagogue, um, there was this man with an unclean spirit. Now, now there's conflict here. Instantly, there is an unclean spirit facing Jesus. What is an unclean spirit? Well, it, the, the word unclean, what, what do you got? Demon. A demon, yes, that same kind of idea, demon possession, unclean spirit. The word means filthiness or unholiness or ungodliness. It, it is a spirit marked by those kind of characteristics. Matter of fact, look at what the spirit says to Jesus. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Or literally, what do uh, what have you to do with us? It's, it's kind of saying, hey, we are absolutely different. I am an unclean spirit. You are holy. Matter of fact, the spirit says, you are the holy one of God. We are absolutely different. Why are you here? When Jesus sets for, uh, foot on the earth, he instantly attracts uh, conflict. What, what are you doing here? You are not like us. You, do not, you, didn't, you should not be here. And of course, we, we see this storyline. We saw it building earlier in Mark um, last week where, where we talked about how Jesus came to do battle. He came to do battle. Where the first Adam fell, fell and failed, the second Adam is going to succeed. And so there's conflict here. And so if you're following Jesus, that's a good thing to know. Expect conflict. You are going to have a target on your back. You are going to be a marked individual if you are following Jesus. But notice also in this passage, uh, the conflict doesn't just come from who Jesus is. It also comes from what Jesus says. From, from what Jesus says. In, our, in the very beginning of our passage, it says Jesus starts preaching his preaching ministry he says the time is fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel now now the reason why mark puts that there he's kind of saying hey this is what jesus's preaching looked like this is kind of a summary of all of jesus's preaching he all of his sermons sounded like this the time has come the time is full believe the gospel repent and believe the gospel notice he also says the kingdom of god is at hand the kingdom of God refers to the rule of God on the earth. And, and, and the rule of God has, has a ruler, has subjects, and has a realm. That's what he's inferring by rule of God. Now, just a little backstory, just so you know. The Jews were expecting a, king, uh, a kingdom of God. They were expecting their Messiah to come and restore the kingdom of Israel and, and reign over it and kind of get rid of their enemies. Matter of fact, in Acts 1-6, a very curious little uh, cross-reference. Jesus has been raised from the dead. 
he spends 40 days, listen, he spends 40 days talking to the disciples about the kingdom of God, it says in Acts 1-3. And then, just before Jesus is going to ascend into heaven, the disciples ask him, because this is what Jews expected. Hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? This is what we're expecting. And then Jesus says, hey, it's not for you to know, but you need to be faithful in Jerusalem. So, the Jews were expecting the kingdom of God. They were expecting the Messiah to bring in the kingdom of God. This is expected. And Jesus is saying what they'd expect here. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. That's, that's imminence. That's nearness. He's clearly not saying the kingdom of God is now or present because then he adds these qualifications for how you can enter the kingdom of God. He's saying it is close. You, you, you can rightly respond to my message and become citizens, but what do you have to do to become citizens? You have to repent and you have to believe. Now, now this is where an- another thing that Jesus brings, another way he brings conflict. He doesn't just bring external conflict. He doesn't just bring attacks from the devil. Jesus also brings conflict into your heart. If you are going to follow Jesus, there is a conflict that you have in your heart. Maybe you have a conflict even this evening about, man, I do not like the message that Jesus tells me. Jesus says, if you will come after me, if you will be citizens of my kingdom, of the kingdom of God, you need to change. You need to turn. And you need to become something different. You can't come in as you are. You are currently in a state of being spiritually bankrupt. You, you, you can't come into the kingdom. And notice, Jesus is saying this message to Jews, people who thought they were on the inside of the inside of the inside track with God. Jesus says this exact same message to everyone. He says it to Jews, to Gentiles, people who are on the outside and the inside. Everybody has to repent, change, and believe the gospel. They have to follow Jesus to become citizens of heaven. It is not an easy message. It is conflict-filled. It is conflict-filled. So that's the first takeaway. It, it expects conflict. The, the second takeaway from a day with Jesus is count the cost. If you will follow Jesus, you have to count the cost. Jesus is headed Jesus is always headed in a costly direction. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, count the cost. As a matter of fact, we see like the shadow, the shadow of cost, even in the very beginning verses of this gospel. Notice verse 14. Mark includes this little detail. Now, after John was arrested, it's kind of like, like a foreboding note, right? Hey, here is the preparer of the Messiah, and he is arrested. Matter of fact, this is the exact same word that is used later for Jesus, and it's the exact same thing that Jesus promises to disciples, would-be disciples, uh, disciples that are already following him. He's saying, you will also be handed over. He talks about that in 13, 9 through 12. Hey, following me is costly. I am going in a costly direction. Count the cost. Why is it costly? Well, we saw there in verse 15, it's, it's costly because it's going to cost you your pride, right? I have to repent. I have to humble myself, confess sins I, to come to Jesus. That's what I have to do. I, 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 have to, I have to give up my 
pride. And, and we saw this kind of a little bit uh, in, a, in a picture sort of with these disciples. The disciples had to, had to leave. I love the picture of this. The disciples had to leave their nets. Now, why did they have nets? They had nets because they were fishermen. That was their identity. That's who they were. They had to leave their ultimate identity and say, my new identity is following Jesus, being a fisher of men, following him. I have to, it costs me my pride. It costs me my ultimate identity. It costs me my, my allegiance. Any other allegiance that I have in this world, it's going to cost me. James and John, when, when Jesus called them to follow him, they had to leave their nets and they had to leave their father and their father's business. And their father's business was a prosperous one because he had hired servants. And we know elsewhere in the Gospel of John that, that probably uh, Zebedee and his fishing business was known to the chief priests. It was a very lucrative business. They left. They had to leave their allegiance, had to leave, had to leave maybe money. You have to leave your, your expectations of Jesus as well. We saw that at the very end of our little section here where the disciples are looking for Jesus. Where are you? The people are searching for you. You have a great miracle ministry here. Why are you hiding, praying? And Jesus says, no, I have come to preach the good news of the kingdom. You have to leave your expectations about Jesus. It'll cost you that. Now, Counting the cost, I say this to you guys, and I want to say it to you tonight, if you're going to count the cost, please do not forget to also count the big payday. There is a big payday. Notice Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. If you're going to count the cost of what it costs you to follow Jesus, at least remember what you gain by following Jesus. Remember, Jesus is following after John, and John has already said what you gain. Verse 4 of Mark, he says, repent. Uh, he was preaching a baptism of repentance. What? For the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, you leave behind your pride, but you also get to leave behind your sin. And that is a glorious thing. And, and, and it's good news. It's good. The gospel is good news. The good news of the kingdom of God. Remember, I defined gospel last week as what? It is life-altering, world-changing, good news about who Jesus is and what he did, is doing, and will do. It is life-changing news. Yeah, count the cost. But part of counting the cost is believing the gospel message. So, a second takeaway is count the cost. If you're going to follow Jesus, count the cost. Third takeaway is listen well. If you are going to follow Jesus, this is another lesson we learned from this day with Jesus. If you are going to follow Jesus, you need to listen well. Why? Because Jesus commands authority. Jesus speaks with authority. Uh, we, we see this. Jesus, through his voice, through his words, instantly changes the life forever of four men. Jesus commands authority. In verse 26, you see this. Um, there is this spirit convulsing. There is this spirit uh, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice. And, and we see a lot of power in this unclean spirit. But Jesus commands the spirit to leave. His, he has more authority than the strongest spiritual force in the building. And notice he doesn't permit the spirits to even speak. Jesus doesn't want his, his name to be known through an unclean spirit. It's also not his time. He has power and authority to silence, to silence uh, evil spirits. 
And, and notice this is the response, uh, verse 22. Everyone's saying, wow, he has so much authority. Uh, verse 22, they're astonished. Uh, astonished is a word for like a gut punch. They're speechless. They're on the edge of their seats. Like, what's he going to say next? This is extraordinary. What's going on? Um, news of him in verse 28 spreads like wildfire. Everybody is coming to him in verse 32. People are flocking to him who commands authority. Why? Because someone who commands authority has power to fix my problems. I want to go. That's why I want to go to Jesus. But, but why? Why does Jesus show all of this authority? And you probably see this. He, he, he did these miracles. He showed this authority so that you would listen to him. So that you would listen well. Wow, this man possesses authority. I need to pay attention to what he is saying. As a matter of fact, when, when Simon does follow Jesus after searching for him, this manhunt that they had going on, Jesus says this, hey, I, my priority is that I may preach also there. I, I'm going to go to the next city. I'm not just here to heal. I'm here to preach the good news. So why is Jesus doing these miracles? Uh, the miracles are just kingdom previews. Remember, he's announcing the kingdom of God. He's saying, hey, if you want the kingdom, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you've got to follow me. But you've got to repent and you've got to believe the gospel. It's costly to repent and follow after Jesus. But hey, this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's going to be, it's going to be like no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more aches or pains. This is what the kingdom is going to be like. Essentially, it's like one of those, one of those samples. You know, you go to Costco and you get a sample and you say, this is really good. I'm going to buy more of this because I like the little sample that I have. Or you're just going to keep going around in circles and get that sample a few more times, like smart people. Um, it's, it's like a movie trailer. Oh, that, that looks like a great movie. I want more. Jesus is saying, here are previews of the kingdom. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, if you want me as your Lord, you've got to repent and you've got to believe the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Mark itself, we see that Jesus, at one place, is unable to do miracles. No joke. He is unable to do miracles in his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Verse 5 of chapter 6 says, And he could not do mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Why could he not do many miracles there? Because Jesus didn't just come to do miracles. He came to speak. He came to say, Listen to me. Learn about who I am. Learn about what I came to do do. Um, it, it's interesting there. Even, even there in that one little passage, though, he still heals people. He still lays his hand on a few people. And that shows us another, another quick thing about his miracles. And this is also our, our fourth takeaway, our final takeaway. If you are going to follow Jesus, our fourth takeaway from a day with Jesus, be comforted. Yeah, I mean, expect conflict, count the cost, listen well, but be comforted. This is my favorite thing about this entire passage. This is the thing that gripped my heart and my soul and challenged me so much and, and, and really delighted me throughout my entire study. And, and it, it happened while I was reading this passage over and over and over again. I'll just, just, just have your Bibles, look at these verses. Um, uh, 1 verse 14, you see Jesus is proclaiming, preaching. 
But at the very end of this passage, 39, he is proclaiming and preaching again. In verse 16 through 20, we see that Jesus finds his disciples. And curiously enough, in 1 verse 37, we see that his disciples find Jesus. In verses 23 through 24, we see the demons know him and they're not permitted to speak. And over in 1 verse 34, we see the demons know him and are not permitted to speak. In verses 25 through 26, we see powerful healing. And then in verses... Uh, 132 through 34 we see more powerful healings and then in 28 watch where I am 28 verse 28 we see the fame of Jesus spreading everywhere and verse 32 we see the fame of Jesus and all the people bringing their sickness now why did I just tell you that there's a it's like a uh, I don't know what's a hinge there's a hinge right there in the middle of the passage, and, and this side of that whole passage mirrors with the other side of the passage, and right there in the middle, there's this curious little account of Peter's mother-in-law, right there in the middle. And if, and if you don't buy that, that's fine. I, I just saw that. If, if you don't buy that, just remember Mark's speed. Remember Mark's economy of language. Why is Mark telling us about Simon Peter's mother-in-law? And why does he go into this detail about Jesus grabbing her hand? getting down, causing her to rise, and, and now she's serving. Why, why are there those details there? Why is he including that? And, and just in case you don't buy that, I mean, just think about what Mark could have said. Uh, Mark doesn't include any of these things um, before this. He doesn't include Jesus' pre-existence. He doesn't include um, Jesus' royal lineage. Mar- uh, Matthew does that. He doesn't include Jesus' human lineage. He doesn't record any of Jesus' births or John's birth. He doesn't record the angel's announcement to the shepherd. He doesn't record Herod's effort to kill Jesus. He doesn't record the Magi. He doesn't record Jesus' flight to Egypt. He doesn't record Jesus' childhood in Nazareth. He doesn't record Jesus talking to those people in Jerusalem. He doesn't even talk about Jesus when he first encounters his disciples. He doesn't happen to mention Jesus' wedding feast miracle. He doesn't care to mention um, Jesus cleansing the temple. He doesn't mention Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. He doesn't mention Jesus' other encounters with John or the Samaritan woman or when Jesus was preaching in the village of Sychar. But Mark seems to find significance in Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And, and, and the detail that he goes to here is intriguing to me. Notice, he, she is laying there. This verb is saying she, she, she's been laying there for a long time. She's been unable to get up for a long time. And she has fever. Now, the, literally, what, what the word fever means is burning with fever. It's related to the word fire. Matter of fact, rabbis in this day kind of thought fever was kind of like a heavenly judgment or a chastisement for sin. God must not like you very much. He sent this fever on you. And, and there was nothing you could do except hope that God would heal you. Matter of fact, you can see this is already causing separation between her and the religious community. She's not able to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. She is separated. She is unable. She is lying there. She is weak. And we notice that Jesus, who doesn't seem to worry about her unholiness, or sinfulness, or, or anything, or her fever, he takes her by the hand and lifted her up, verse 31. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Matter of fact, that word serve is, is the same continual sense as laying. So she goes from laying, doing nothing, to serving, continually, characteristically serving. 
So, so, so why is this so special? Why does Mark include this? I, I think because Mark is, pre, is kind of writing down Peter's recollections and Peter's sermons. This is very important to Peter. This is very important to Peter because of the kind of disciple that Peter was. Peter found great comfort in this. Um, I, I had this professor in, at school, and he said, he said this. This is one of my favorite things that he ever said. You know, Jesus must have just been going around just doing this all the time. Like, I mean, I mean, some of you maybe have read Mark this last week. I've heard a few people, a few of you have read Mark. How many times does Jesus do this? He's talking to his disciples. He's explaining something, and then they, then they try to say what he said back to them, and, and they, they blow it. They, they mess it up, and Jesus the, the disciples in Mark particularly are constantly blowing it, constantly messing it up. I, I, and I, I think Peter is saying, look at this. Look at how sweet Jesus is. Look at how comfort, uh, comforting this is to know this about Jesus. When I am weak, when I am foolish, when I mess up my life, when my serving is, is, I don't have any chance to serve, when I'm on a sickbed of, of sin, Jesus comes. He doesn't have to do this. He could just heal me like that, but he comes because he cares for me. He takes me by the hand and he causes me to stand up. He causes me to be instantly well. Notice she is instantly well. She is able to serve fully. She serves them. The disciples are always constantly causing Jesus to do this, but Jesus stays with them. He, he is kind. He is gracious. He is, he is full of steadfast love. This is a very comforting thing. As a matter of fact, this is what we, we read about in, in similar in, in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter's saying, man, Jesus is gracious. He's kind. He comes beside you. He stoops down. He could heal you like that. But because he cares, he takes out your hand and he cleanses you. He restores you. So, yes, when you are a disciple failing and discouraged, remember this picture of Jesus as well. Yes, count the cost. Yes, listen well. But remember who Jesus is. He is full of grace and full of love and full of compassion. And a matter of fact, Jesus didn't come to be served. He didn't come to accumulate all of these disciples who are good at serving him. Jesus came to serve. And this is also a beautiful picture of discipleship. Jesus serves, Jesus cleanses, Jesus heals you from your sin so that you may go out and serve other people. That's who Jesus is. That's the kind of Jesus that you follow. Um. So, expect conflict, count the cost, listen well, and believe the gospel. Be comforted. Know who Jesus is. Um, Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this time. We're thankful for this time that we now get to spend in small group. We pray that you would be with us in this time. Uh, Guard our conversation. Keep us from rabbit trails. Keep our eyes focused on you. pray this in your name. Amen.